Thanks for joining us in our study of the letter of James, Wisdom for Wholeness. Here, James uses Old Testament wisdom literature, as well as teaching from his own half-brother Jesus, to call the church throughout the age to a life wholly devoted to God. Cornerstone exists to proclaim and demonstrate Christ in all of life, so as to make people complete in him. Let's turn to James 4. We'll be in verses 11 and 12 again today, kind of. Um, Today I am going to do something that I haven't done since November 13th, 2011. Uh, I am going to preach a topical sermon. Uh, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Because you're used to, what we normally do here is go through the scriptures um, as a book follows along. We're following the thought of the, of, of the, of the author. Uh, last time I did this, I preached on the image of God uh, back in, when we were in Genesis, on Genesis 127, when, Je- when Stacy was in Genesis 127. Uh, so since it makes sense to do stuff that you haven't done in like seven years, that's what I'm going to do this morning. We're going to do a topical message. Uh, let's read James 4, 11 and 12, and things are going to start to make sense after we get into it. We'll, we'll read this passage, we'll pray, and then we'll get going. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil, speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray and ask God to lead us this morning. Fathers, we approach your word. We, together with millions of saints before us, declare that you are holy. We are not. Uh, We harbor jealousy, selfish ambition, many other desires that James shows to us that they all bind up in our heart. And we know and we can attest to the truth that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We often are quick to speak, quick to anger, quick to judge. And you've given us these bodies and more specifically these tongues for the praise and service of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But so often we use them for our own agendas. Show us the wickedness and the deceitfulness of our own hearts today. Teach us to hear. Teach us to believe. Teach us to obey. We ask that your word would be used by the Holy Spirit to convict and encourage us. We'd ask for you to come and teach us today. Show us who you are. Work repentance and faith in us and continue to do the work in us that you have promised to do. We cry out. We cry out and beg you for your grace this morning, God. In Jesus' name we praise things. Amen. Now, I don't know how many of you... um, either have heard this commercial or maybe you've watched TV and you've seen this commercial, but, or, or several, Planet Fitness came out with this whole roll of commercials. At the end, they say, you know, the world judges, but we don't. Or they'll say, I think a lot of commercials end something like uh, the judgment-free zone. That's the place. If you go through those doors, it's the judgment-free zone. It, it's, it's very much of a virtue. They're such a virtuous place that they wouldn't judge you for coming in and working out in a certain way. Now, I bring that up because it's kind of, it's kind of a motto for, for a, a virtuous place that wouldn't cast judgment on you because we realize that often in our context that judging another person is probably one of the greatest social sins that we encounter in the United States of America. It is terrible. And so we long for a judgment-free zone. Now, I realize 
that last week I talked about judging. We talked about verses 11 and 12 here, and, and we realized, what I realized is that we need a little bit more information, a little more explanation as we consider the world around us. Now, it's not as though I don't think that everyone disagreed. I think we all agreed with what James was saying, and we understood it, and we said, yeah, that's good. But out of this came some other questions. Now, I will recognize something about myself. It's that I don't watch the news. Um, I rarely listen to the news. I, like, all my news comes from two sources. One is um, Al Mohler's podcast called The Briefing. That's worth your time if you want to listen to something that's good. Um, I listen to that sometimes. And then the other arena is that my wife kind of gives me commentary on all the books that she's reading, all the blog posts that she's involved in, all the articles she covers. And yes, she helps me study from our sermons too. You know, um, she's, she's very helpful with all that. That's a joke. Um, so last week when I, when, I, when, I, when I went through this, I realized that we didn't talk about our culture and how they view judgment and what they think about when we say this, these verses. They point the finger back and say, yeah, that's right. You listen to those verses, chapter 4, 11, and 12, Christians. You can't judge me. That's, that's not your place. You can't judge me. When we looked at what James had to say last week, it seemed as though he was saying quite, quite clearly that we're not to speak evil against each other. We're not to do that. He told us then that this points us then, and if we were to do this, it's tantamount to judging a brother, not just to speak evil, but to actually judge that person. And then through a series of steps, we realize that if we're doing this, we are essentially putting ourselves in the place of God. We are usurping his authority, a place we don't want to be. This led, this led Jem, James then to say at the end, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who do you think you are? Now, the, the, the person who's listening is also thinking about all the other things in our culture, all the other sections of scripture, and we're asking to ourselves, is, is that right? Are we like not at all supposed to judge whatsoever and never do anything like that? Again, we're left thinking to ourselves, what's the exact definition of judging? What is James saying and what does the Bible say about this? I'm not really sure. We talked a lot about not doing it, but I never gave us a, like, a once-for-all kind of definition of judging um, and, and to make sure we understood. More than that, and again, I don't condone this, but we ask ourselves if Tupac was right that only God can judge me. Was he saying something that's true? Did he get it and what some Christians don't get? Is he saying the right things when he says that? Or we, we see others saying, you can't judge me. Are they right? It seems that so many people in our age today do whatever they want to do. And then if anyone ever speaks anything about that, that belief or that idea or that action, they point the finger right back and say, you can't judge me. Who are you to judge me? Look at the Bible. It says you can't judge. So we have to ask ourselves the question, is this true? A lot of unbelievers will point to Matthew 7, 1, judge not, you be not judged. And this passage here, James 4, 11, and say, hey, you're not supposed to speak evil or judge anyone. You can't do that. You can't judge me becomes like a defense cry. It's almost like a shortcut to any conversation we have about what is right and wrong. It's like, you can't judge me. Ha <laughs> done. It's over. As though that's like the trump card and nothing else works. My question for us then is, we need to think about that. Is that right? Are they right about that? Should, do we have to just roll over and be done? I, I guess that's it. Is that what James is saying here? It certainly seems, again, like he's using the same terms and that, you know, we probably shouldn't judge anyone, 
Most specifically, we definitely shouldn't judge other Christians. Are we saying that our place then is to promote tolerance and maybe even silence when it comes to real sin? Just be quiet about it. Don't say anything. Today, what I'm trying to do is this. I'm going to take us on a detour from James and kind of go down this rabbit trail for a moment because I think it's important for our context, for our culture, where we live in 2018 right now in the United States of America. Next week, we'll be at Munden Point, all right? We're going to be there. We'll do, I'll do a devotional there. We'll come back, and we'll go right back to 4, 13 through 17. But this detour is not without warrant. One of the things that I, I try to do is I ask the elders, I ask my wife, and I ask friends, uh, guys in my community group, and anyone else who's willing to listen, I ask them to give me some sort of feedback on my sermons because I need to make sure. It all comes out pretty coherent, what I think is coherent in here, but sometimes it doesn't translate quite as well, and it may not have been quite as clear. So I very much value that feedback to help me understand if you are understanding what I'm actually saying, because I'm trying to be as clear as possible about the Scriptures. One of the things this week that I picked up on was that everyone agreed with what James was saying, but all these other cultural questions that we've been talking about here kind of popped up. What does this mean for how I interact with my neighbors, my coworkers, my family? within the church, all these things. It just seemed like the hammer came down. No judging others. Don't speak evil against each other. Can we give us a little context here, Chris? So today, what I'm trying to do is answer some of those questions. What things are relevant to us as we talk about judging? What does that mean for us in our day-to-day actions, how we respond to people? I want to ask and answer kind of the question, is it really true that I am not to judge anyone ever? Is that what the Bible says? Or when unbelievers use the phrase, judge not, that you be not judged, or don't speak evil against me, you can't judge me. When they use these phrases and point to us and, and point the finger to us, are they right? And, and then I think a really important question is, how is judging seen in the rest of the Bible? One of the, the small things that we do as we're going through expositional preaching is we're just continuing on what James tells us, which is very helpful for our context. But we're going to take a step back for a moment and say, okay, we understand what James was saying here, but what else is, is, is the Bible telling us about judging? The reason why, as you're going to see by the end of today, we're going to come back to James, and it's going to start to help us understand what James is really doing. And again, this is a good exercise for us to consider other pieces of Scripture as we do this. So, one of the first questions I ask myself is, what does the world mean by judging? When, when an unbeliever talks about this, what, when they point the finger back, you can't judge me, how do they define it? Now, obviously, we're not talking about like a judgment call or good judgment or a snap judgment. We're not talking about defining the, world, the word in a general sense. Uh, we all understand that a person, when they say, you can't judge me, we're talking about some sort of condemnation, some sort of pointing the finger that someone's done something wrong. To be fair, most of the world has a balanced approach to using the word judgment. That's just fair. They usually use that. And they understand the wide semantic range of this word judgment. They understand it in a trial, in a judicial procedure, or this idea of making a good judgment call. But when we get to the realm of judging people or judging people's ideas, we switch. No longer is just a decision. Now it's become intolerance. Now it's become the act of hatred towards another person. And it, and, it, and it almost catches us off guard. Like, is, this, is, this, is that really right? 
Now, we understand this because when someone says something to us that we don't like, maybe something that we hold to, it feels unloving. It feels as though like they dislike us and we are defensive naturally. I get that. But in all of this, are they right? Is that, is that right? Is it hatred? Is it intolerance? I'll say one other thing that the world gets right. Any person who elevates themselves into a position of proud superiority to pronounce judgment on another person or against another person is in sin. Even if the content of your judgment is right, if you have put yourself in a place of pride and superiority, you're in sin. That's wrong. And the, and the world is right about that, and they can sniff that out a mile away. They know. And as do we sometimes when we're like, you're just promoting yourself. We know what's going on. There's always a grain of truth here. And although true biblical judgment is not intolerance and it is not hate, it's very important to see that the temptation is there for any of us, any person to, pers- to judge, judge a person, go from lovingly judging them to proudly speaking against them. There's a difference. The first one is all about lovingly speaking God's truth to a brother to build them up. The other is meant to show superiority between the judge and the accused. There's a whole different motivation there, completely different. But I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit. My point for us is to ask this question. Who gets to define the terms judgment or judging? Is it just a general consensus? Is it the world? I think many of us, kind of without knowing it, uh, we're confused by what the world says judging is. They have like several different definitions and then uh, the rhetoric gets involved and then we feel bad and we're like, oh, I don't want to say that in front of everybody else. And then we're kind of looking at the scriptures and we see what judging is about there. And there it kind of seems like it's all over the board too. There's multiple things that people would use the word judging for. And what happens, I think, unwittingly is we kind of blend them all together. And we start to think, I don't really know what judging is or where, what's my place to actually judge someone or shrug my shoulders and say, well, I'm I just not quite sure how to handle this. The problem here is this. If we take at face value what the world says, we have not listened to James in chapter 1. Remember what he said about the world? He said, keep yourself unstained from the world. It's very important for us to understand the bigger picture And that is God's picture, to understand what we actually mean. Our definitions, our glossary of terms, come from the Bible, God's revealed word. He's the one that has truth. Everything else is perceived truth. God's word will always tell us the truth. That's why we can have such good confidence in this. And so we have to ask the right question. What does the Bible say about judging? Not to what we all agree upon what judging is. What does the Bible say that judging is? So um, we're going to ask the Bible to, to tell us that. So I hope you brought your lunch boxes. We'll be here for a while. Um, but in all honesty, do you realize how many different ways the Bible expresses the word judgment? There are at least half a dozen, over half a dozen different ways that this word is translated. Maybe in some of your translations, it may even be more than that. Let me give you a few examples. It can mean to decide to think, to consider, or to separate, to make a selection, to prefer, or to esteem. It could mean to express an opinion, to propose, or to intend. 
It can also mean to try something like in a a judicial process, a trial, um, or to compare to some sort of a standard, that judgment. It can also mean to criticize, to find fault. And even going a step further than that, it can also mean to punish or condemn. Now we're talking about all these different things that the Bible uses, all these words for that one word. It's it's krino in the Greek. It's, it's, It's just judge. So understanding that, we realize, kind of what the world realizes, that, that that word judge has a very wide and broad semantic range. It can be used, that, all that means is it can be used several different ways. We've talked about this before. And here we understand then that we ought to be very careful, uh, careful about making a one-size-fits-all definition for judging. That's dangerous. And we could get ourselves in a lot of trouble if we just applied it the same way every single time. Now, Because I can't tell all of Scripture to us right now, I picked out three perspectives, three areas that I think are helpful for us when we talk about this. The first one is we're going to talk about the basis for judgment. The second is the command for judging. And the third one is the warning about judging. We'll see all these throughout Scripture. Uh, Let's start like this. Take your Bibles and turn to Leviticus 19. I'm ever in the debt of my teachers, both from seminary and then also good books that we read. Um, uh, Jordan sent me an article from uh, J. Alec Matyer, uh, a theologian who passed away recently, but he got me thinking about the importance of God's character when we are considering biblical judgment. I'm going to say a few things that I took from him because there's just not a better way to say it. So uh, this is not necessarily my material. We're constantly learning, and this is very helpful for me. Let's read through a few of these spots in, Je- in uh, Leviticus 19. I'm going to read a few, and then I'm going to cause us to jump around. I need you to see something. I want you to pick it up. If you have a pen, if you're a Bible in your Bible writer, you might want to take some notes here or underline some things. If you're not, if you're like Jordan, he's, his Bible is pristine, don't do that. Just listen then. That's fine. All right, pay attention. Here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall uh, shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. Go to verse 10. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather and fall the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Verse 12. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I'm going to skip over. Let's go to verse 15. We've been referencing this section for a while now. James is going back to this section. I'm going to read 15 through 18. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance on or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But that's not the end of the verse. I am the Lord. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of these passages, but I want you to note, I'm going to just, if you let your eyes glance over this, you're going to see these sentences all end the same way. I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God. Look at verse 25. 
Look at verse 28. Look at verse 30, 31, 32, 34, 36, and 37. It is chock full of the way that he ends it with an exclamation point is, I am the Lord. What, what he's trying to do here is, is something bigger again. We already know from Deuteronomy 1.17, let me back up for a moment, that judging people is a task that was given to Moses and then he created leaders as well, or he assigned leaders to judge as well. That was a gift from God that they would be able to do that. In that dialogue though, God tells them, or Moses tells them, it's not your judgment. It's God's judgment that you are a steward of, basically. This is not your judgment to give. This is God's that you are giving out to the people. That's where we start. But Leviticus 19 gives us more background, like the why, the big picture why we would do this. Fourteen times in this chapter, Leviticus 19, a command or a group of commands is reinforced with the words, I am the Lord your God, or I am the Lord. To enforce a law by saying, I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh, is hearkening back to the burning bush. He is saying when he says, who, who is it that says these things? Who is it that I should, I should reference? And he says, I am who I am. In other words, this is generated out of my character. All the laws that I just told you, they express my character, who I am. And when Moses pens these words, he is showing that the law is intended to fulfill mankind's essential nature as the image of God. What does that mean? These rules show us how to be God, how to be what God made us to be, image bearers. That is what these laws are all about. They're not to keep his thumb on us down and, and like do a certain thing in this realm. They are to show us what it means to be true image bearers. And human, human judging, according to God's law, is for the express purpose of holding up the perfect law to show us that we do not measure up. It's showing us the truth. It's showing us that we may think we feel good about ourselves, but it's not true. It shows us the truth. Uh, the position, it brings us back then also into a right position, which is the point of judging, that it would right the wrong would bring it back into the right position. The position is that which expresses the image of God. And, and look how he starts this whole thing off in verse 2. Be holy, that's a command, be holy because I am holy. God is calling us then to be as he is. And judging is an express working out of his character. The basis for judgment is found in the character of God. That's our first point here. But let's, let's move on to our second point. So this idea of what's the basis for, God, uh, for judging, it's found in the character of God. But the second one, is there really a precedent or a command in Scripture for us to judge others? Is this legitimate? So we need to talk about the command that, that, is, that is here in Scripture uh, that tells us to judge. We already talked about Deuteronomy 1.17. This was the command to judge that's what they were supposed to do. These leaders were appointed that they were charged to judge righteously between the people. That was the job that they were supposed to do. Uh, you're probably getting sick of Leviticus 19, but in verse 15, he says, you shall not be partial to the poor, defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. That's pretty straightforward. You're supposed to judge your neighbor. John 7, 24. Let's skip ahead a little bit. Jesus tells his followers not to judge by appearances. But, that's not the end of the verse, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. They are, they are, in, they are 
stewarded with the judgment in right judgment, not just according to appearances. And then we get to the passage we need to talk about. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 5. So turn in your Bible. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 5. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to read the beginning and the end of this chapter. I want you to clue in here. If you're better at listening, that's fine. Just listen. This is important to get. Verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Sounds a lot like James. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if in present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did this such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Skip down to verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, that's a lot of people. Not all, though, he says. There's a caveat here. Not all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. You need to become an astronaut. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is a very clear statement. And it's also a very clear context. It helps us understand that there's something to this command that we are to judge. It gives us some rules as well and helps us understand the intention and, and, and how we are to go about this. A very clear statement. He says stuff like, remove from among you. He says like, deliver this man to Satan. Or at the end, purge this evil person from among you. Is this judgment or not? Yeah, this is a pretty clear statement of judgment that we are supposed to be taking part in. Um, but Paul seems to think that not only is this something that's happening, but they should have known about it. Like He says almost in assumptive language in verse 12, is this, um, excuse me, is it not those inside the church whom you are supposed to judge? Like, guys, don't you already know this, that you are supposed to judge those inside the church? We have a clear teaching on Christians being called to judge. But I want to notice a few other things that are in this passage. In fact, I think this is probably one of the best passages to help us understand what it means when we say the Bible tells us to judge. What are we talking about? So we got a clue into this. I'm going to make five observations. The first one, notice this. This is a known about sin. He says what? It has been reported. That means it's, it's somewhat verified. People know it's true to the point that they're arrogant about it. There's no like, well, we're not sure if this actually happened. This isn't conjecture. This isn't slanderous defamation of a person, a lie about them or a rumor. It's reported among you that these people are arrogant about doing this thing. The fact that Paul is bringing it up shows that they haven't dealt with it yet. They haven't done anything about it, and they know it's true. It's almost like they, they haven't made a good judgment call on this yet. It's pretty black and white. They, they, they have investigated, and the conclusion is simple. This person has sinned. It's known. This is important, as we, call, we called out earlier, John 7, 24. 
you remember this, he said, don't judge according to appearances, but judge with right judgment. That's what we're seeing happen right here. This is not by appearances, but it's been reported. They know that this is true about this person. That's the first thing. It's known. The second, notice that this is not about an opinion. This is not an accusation that someone's doing something that we all think is wrong, but this person thinks it's wrong. Like this person says, yeah, it's pretty bad to sleep with your father's wife. This person says, no, it's not that bad. No, they know this is not an opinion issue. Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 are crystal clear on this. They say that when someone sleeps with their father's wife, it's sin, it's abomination. It's even that which will incur judgment. He goes that far to say that in Leviticus 19, or 18 and 20. Now, in the case of Romans 14, and some of you are thinking, are we going to get to Romans 14? I'm just going to briefly mention it. When Paul says don't pass judgment in Romans 14, it's based on one major thing that we have to clue in. In verse 1, he says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. If you remember what's happening in Romans 14, it's those who ate meat. They were in a problem if it was offered to idols. They didn't care. It's, it's just meat. It's fine. And others who had a huge problem with that, so they only ate vegetables. They were not, they were like, it really bothered their conscience if that was okay. This is not a black and white issue. And so in Romans 14, Paul tells them, hey, don't pass judgment on one another. This is about an opinion. This is not worth you judging one another. That's not what's happening here. This is black and white. They know that this is true. Uh, it's also worth looking at 1 Corinthians 4, 5, the chapter right before what we've talked about. Paul himself, who's, who's telling us to judge, says, do not pronounce judgment against those who have things that are, in the, in, that are in darkness and hidden, that we're not sure exactly what's happening in the purposes in the heart. He says, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. That's 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Paul's helpful for us. He's showing that our judgment should only be for those who are clearly sinful. It's black and white. We understand that this is wrong. Not to go about looking for something inside someone's heart and their motivation. We should never judge an opinion or tell them about something that we really can't confirm. So that's the second thing. It's not about opinion. It's black and white. The third thing here we've got to notice this judging is happening in a specific context of people. This is happening in the corporate body. Notice what he's doing here. Paul says, when you are assembled, we're talking about the church. When you're assembled, remove this person from among you. There is no private excommunication. It's not like you pull this person around and shove them out the back door. This is not private. This is true loving confrontation. Now, Certainly we know from somewhere else we'll get to that there probably was private uh, confrontation and asking, what's going on here? You should repent of this. This is wrong. But it's gotten to a different point here in 1 Corinthians 5. It's to the point where it's brought to the church and saying, you need to get rid of this person out of your, out of your context. This is to be done all within the context of Matthew 18. Now, you probably thought we were eventually going to go here. This is important. Jesus does not use the word judge, but this is very, very helpful for us because it's the same thing that's happening in 1 Corinthians 5. You probably already know the progression, but let me go through it. If a brother sins against you, this is uh, Matthew 18, verse 15 and following. If a brother sins against you, go and tell him alone. It's a private matter. Now, I'll ask us, is that judging? In a sense, it certainly is in some way. Now, is it condemnation? No. It's lovingly confronting a brother and telling them, hey, you've sinned against me. 
Then if he doesn't listen, what does it say? Bring one or two others along with you and say again, hey, brother, you've sinned against me. If he doesn't listen again, what are you supposed to do? Bring it to the church. Now, when we do this, we see that he has refused and refused and refused, and we realize now that it's time to come to the body and say, if he refuses again before all of us, you should throw him out. You must remove him from your fellowship. We're talking about excommunication from the church. If he still refuses, remove him from the corporate body. And at this point, if there is still no repentance, again, we realize this is a formal action of judgment. This is a sense of condemnation against this person. Now, I would ask, is it final or complete and somehow it's, they're never going to be able to come back from this? No, 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 not at all. Remember our context, right? This is about making the person right before God. When he first talks about it, right at the beginning in verse 15, he says, if your brother listens to you, you have won a brother. That's what you're trying to do. It's a beautiful thing. And then this brings us back to 1 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 5. He says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That sounds awfully harsh. But then listen to the next part. So that for the purpose his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What is Paul's purpose in judgment? He desires to see this person repent and be saved, to believe. I realize the wording is so strong here, deliver him over to Satan. Is that what he really means? Yes, that means taking someone out of the fellowship of believers under the control of Jesus Christ in his church and saying, this is not the realm that you belong in. We call you to this, but you have not repented. And so we will turn you over to Satan. Not for the purpose that Satan would destroy him alone, but rather that his flesh or the things that live in him worldly would be destroyed and he would realize the problem. In other words, his old man would die and that he might then be rescued to the truth that he would believe and his soul might be saved. And all of this, we understand that what, what this guy, these guys are doing here is showing this is all for the purpose of love and bringing someone back into fellowship, not to like make our congregation smaller by excommunicating a bunch of people. That's not the intention at all. Paul says that he desires that this formal act of excommunication result in the salvation of a person's soul. He desires restoration. Consider, if you will, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Paul tells us, that we are to restore a brother in gentleness, one who is caught in any transgression, someone who is sinning. We're to restore them. Excuse me. But Paul backs up this command and helps us understand that the whole purpose is to fulfill the law of Christ. Now, we've talked about the law of Christ, specifically boiled down to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the purpose here, to show love to your neighbor. That's how you fulfill this. The last thing I want us to notice here, talk about the context, several things. Paul, we ought not to, we ought to notice who Paul uh, is telling us to judge. Uh, let's look at verse 9 through 13. We already read it. Who is being judged here? Paul tightens our scope. We are not to condemn those that are outside the walls of the church. He tells us right here, what do I have to do with those that are outside of the church? We are to judge within. God, he is the one that, char he is the one that judges those that are outside the church. 
Uh, the realm that we are to deal with are those that are within these walls, in this fellowship of believers. The realm of responsibility stops at the edge of our Christian fellowship as far as judging in this way is concerned. Now, if you're following along, you have, like, I'm guessing you have two rough questions. You may not know it, but these are the things that I asked of this. I think probably people are asking. You may be asking more, but I'm going to deal with these two things. One is, does this mean then that we have nothing at all to say to unbelievers? And that our, what we're supposed to do is just be quiet and just tolerate and just be okay with real sin? I'll deal with that in a moment. The second question is this. So 1 Corinthians 5, this is giving us the green light on judgment. We can judge however we want to. As long as this criteria is met, we can, we can judge. This leads us to our last main point. The Bible also gives us warning against judging. Not that it's not to be done, because we already had the command to judge. He is giving us a warning about judging one another. God warns us to be very careful in the process of judging each other. Let's turn to Matthew 7. You know this passage, but I want you to see the first couple of verses. Matthew 7, 1. Judge not, these are the words of Jesus, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, we measure to you. Why do you seek to see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Is his point here, don't judge ever? No. He is trying to help people understand their own hypocritical hearts. He has shown that there is a big danger here when we're talking about judging to slip into hypocrisy. That we haven't thought about our own lives. And we've judged others and put ourselves over against them and not even considered the log that is out of our own eye. There's a great danger. This judgment that we see is not right. It's proud. It's selfish. It's jealous. It doesn't really understand that the judgment that you pass on someone, that will also be passed to you. Uh, we already referenced Romans 14, but there we saw the warning against passing judgment about opinion. That's, that's a warning to make sure we're not doing that. 1 Corinthians 4, we already talked about that as well. Don't pronounce judgment against the things that are hidden in darkness, motivations, intentions. You can't see that. That's not black and white. That's not the realm for us to be judging. But I think it's appropriate for us to finally circle back to James 4. James 4.11 has told us this. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Do not judge one another. Of all the texts that we know, this one we probably know the most about in our context because we've been following it all along so far. So the question is, is James telling us not to judge at all? I've already given you all the clues to say no, he's not. So then is James is James changing the definition of judging? Is that what he's doing? Like he's using a sneaky way to talk about it? No, he's not. This is important for us. He, like Jesus, is providing a warning. He is showing the depths of the sinfulness of our heart. Both James and Jesus understand that judging is a God-given responsibility for the church to perform. It's on purpose. And James knows that his congregations are struggling with what? Speaking against each other with quarrels, with fighting. These are the things that he knows that are marked about them. 
They have selfish ambition. They have jealousy in their hearts. He knows that people have taken this God-given responsibility, judging, and have used it for their own gain, to jostle for position and power. And so he tells them not to speak evil against a brother. It seems as though he's getting at the root sin of partiality. Going back to chapter 2, that you have put yourself up against someone else so that you may judge them. That's really what's going on. It's almost like, you know, you're, you're, taking, you're taking a good gift that God has given to the church to judge, and you've used it to spend it on your passions. We just learned about that. That's exactly what's going on here. This kind of judging is sinful, and you ought never to do it, because what you're actually doing is usurping the authority of God. Now, you have ridden with me on this train for a while, and I realize I'm going long and hard, but I want you to help me by staying through here and let me finish this out. I've got to get back to understanding the important point here, which is both what does it mean for us to judge within the church, and what does it mean as we act outside of the church? Let me start with the outside of the church. Is it, is it, are they right? Again, is it true that only God can judge me? How should we deal with those that are outside the church? I'm going to give you my pastoral, Bible-informed opinions on this subject. This is not gospel, but I would like you to listen. Number one, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Guys, we need to be doing good works. That's one of the best communications as we love one another and as we do good works in our world. They see that. The world sees that very clearly. The Bible tells us so. So I'd say, get first things first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That will show forth the truth and the glory of God. Second thing, do not attack anyone. Don't attack your neighbor, believer or non-believer. Almost by virtue of saying you're attacking someone, you've put yourself above them in some way. We're missing the point if what we're doing is going out attacking people. This is not right. Um, it is not our place to handle the sinner at all. Jesus Christ handles the sin and the sinner. Ours is possibly just to show Jesus Christ. So the other thing I would say is this. I would challenge you to talk like a Christian. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm not saying speak Christian ease, use all the words that we use. No. I'm talking about not having to go and sidestep what you're saying in front of people like, oh, I know this will kind of offend them because Jesus is Lord and they don't really believe that. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth of who God is. The Bible is the truth. Remember that. This is not a good book to help shed light on reality. That's the opposite. What we see around us, we think we understand it, but this actually is the true story. This is what's actually going on. And so this is God's truth. So speak as though this is truth. Don't be ashamed of it. Speak with confidence that what his word says is true. That goes along with the attack, though. It's never to be used for our own purposes to attack someone. A secondary point that I think is helpful here, don't, <laughs> don't do this online. Uh, this, is a, this is a bad place to tell someone the truth of Scripture. It's very hard to speak the truth in love in the comments from a blog post. Again, this is just my pastoral opinion. 
Don't leave that kind of stuff there. Have real conversations where you can show love to someone, where you can actually be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ instead of just leaving things that can be torn out of place. It's not the place to do it. That's my opinion. I think that's what you should do. But again, I leave that in your hands. Um, we should not be judging the world around us. That does not mean that we are tolerant, though, and silent about sin. People, are we to judge them outside and say they're a certain way? No. Remember that they are fellow image bearers with us. What are we to do with them? Treat them with love and kindness. The sin, we condemn the sin, but we cannot condemn the sinner. That is not our place. Ours is to love and to lead them to the truth. If you have humbly, not in pride, talked about the truth of God's character as it relates to sin with love for the person that you are talking to, they may say that you are judging them. But remember, that's not the truth. That's not what we're seeing here. We want to, in humility, not in pride, show the truth of our Savior. We call this evangelism, <laughs> that people would see the light of Jesus Christ. It's not about condemnation towards them, but rather to show them the salvation that's known in God. To finish out, what does it mean for you and I to judge then? You and I are representatives of God. That's what we are. We are servants sent out for the sake of God's character and love for our neighbor. Notice that's the first and second commandment. We are trying to preserve and show and understand and point to the beauty and the holiness of God, but we're also trying to show love for our neighbor. Um, Matthew 18 gives us guidance. How do we do this? in privacy, for the sake of winning your brother back to him in, in a position that's right before God so that he will act like the proper image bearer of God that he was meant to be. Do this for the sake of love for your brother and for the upbuilding of the saints. Ephesians 4 is so helpful for us. Speaking the truth in love. The whole purpose there, the governing principle of all this, guys, if you can remember this, actually, it's very helpful. The governing principle for all this judge talk that we're talking about is the principle of love. That we would love God, but that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. What James has been saying this whole time anyway. That's the governing principle. We are called to judge rightly, to discern right from wrong actions, and to love brothers and sisters, to build them up by speaking the truth in love. Then let us do this. Let us love one another, judging rightly, not judging with superior motives, pride, arrogance, and selfish ambition but rather speaking the truth in love. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your preserving power. We give all glory and honor to you and ask that you would use your word how you will. Would we submit to you in wisdom and obedience in Jesus' name? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For other sermons on the book of James and further information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.